Welcome to your Calm Parenting Toolbox, the podcast for parents who want to get the most out of their kids and themselves. Here's your host, parenting coach, Heather Lindsay. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of your Calm Parenting Toolbox. My name is Heather, and I am honored that you've joined me here today for this episode of how we can solve behavior problems with our children with play. And at one time or another, all kids act up and they have less than ideal behavior, you know, be it a screaming tantrum, aggression towards a sibling or a parent, throwing toys, lying or simply being rude and withdrawn. Now, the majority of this behavior, while incredibly frustrating and stressful for us as parents, it's all developmentally normal. It's how they are learning to be as a human, how they are learning to be as a child and an individual within a family and society as a whole. Behaviour problems develop when normal developmental behaviour becomes destructive. And this is when we need to step in with strategies to help decrease the frequency and the intensity. So not every time if your child is having a tantrum, is it actually a behavior problem? Because all kids will have tantrums, all kids will lie, all kids will whinge or get withdrawn or stomp off and slam the door. It is um, it depends on when it becomes destructive for the child, for their physical growth and development, for their emotional health and their um uh, well-being and the family as a whole. So that's when we actually start looking at specific strategies to tailor towards the behavior. Now, there are so many different discipline techniques out there. A search of Google gives 21.6 million results. <laughs> that's 21.6 different pages telling you different things that you can do with your child when they are behaving in a particular way. The question is, is how do we choose the right one that will give the best outcome for the child and for the family? Because that's what we want after all. So in order to best understand the problem, what we need to do is we need to actually understand what the um, problem is. So um, what we need to think of is how all behavior that comes from our children is actually communication. They are trying to tell us something through their behavior, perhaps not consciously and subconsciously they're doing this. And if we can remember what to try and work out what is behind the behavior, that is the key to solving the problems because if all we do is address the cause and the expression of what's going on within our child, it's like putting a band-aid on a broken leg. It's just not going to really do much at all. And this is where parents get caught in the trap of trying so many things um, and so many different techniques to improve behavior, but not getting any long lasting impact. For example, the cause of a child having a tantrum might be his feelings towards being told no when he wanted a new toy. Well, we've all been in that situation. The 
outcome of, of the being told no and the outcome is his feelings is that he starts screaming and hitting his mum as a result. And it's not the feeling that we want to correct because everyone is allowed and including our children to feel whatever they want to feel. What we're trying to as parents do is teach our children that just because they're feeling angry and frustrated and sad that they can't get a new toy, it doesn't mean that they can then scream and hit at everybody else, lash out. So if we have a child who is having that massive tantrum, like in this situation, and it's becoming problematic, by addressing the outcome, you know, yelling at them, smacking them, sending the child to time out, or simply ignoring the tantrum to, you know, hope it'll just go away, doesn't solve the cause or teach the child why their behavior is wrong. And when we don't teach the why, and we don't teach them how to deal with the feeling associated with being told no, then the behavior is just doomed to repeat itself. You know, this is the opposite of actually examining what's going on for our child through the lens of communication. So instead, what we want to do in order to get the best effect in a situation like this, in order to help our child learn to manage their emotions when they're told no, because unfortunately kids are told no all the time and that's just part of, you know, parenting and setting boundaries. What we need to do is we need to help him learn how to manage his emotions and we do that through connection and reinforcing positive behavior in a calm way and this way therefore we're more likely to see an improvement in behavior and one particular way that I'm going to discuss in this episode is through what's called attachment play. Now, before I go on and talk about that in details, I just want to quickly go through the fact that what you can expect a toddler to understand versus what you could expect a seven-year-old or a 13-year-old to understand are completely different. So a two-year-old is not really going to understand the consequences of no and being able to control their emotions as much as a seven-year-old or a 13-year-old. So the expectations you have for your child at different developmental stages with their own growth and development and understanding about themselves and where they are in the world are quite different. So you always have to take, take, take their age and their developmental level into consideration through all of this. And I'll have a chat to you about this throughout this episode. Okay, so what is attachment play? So attachment play, or often called play therapy, is based on attachment theory. Now, as soon as I say this, people sometimes get their back up because they think I'm talking about attachment parenting. And attachment parenting is, you know, that pro-breastfeeding, pro-baby wearing, co-sleeping, all that, you know, crunchy mama stuff. Um, and there's, of course, a wide range of all of that. And it can get people quite, oh my God, no, I, you know, I formula fed my child. My child slept in a cot or, um, you know, all of this stuff. I didn't wear my child. I had a stroller. Attachment play has nothing to do with attachment parenting. All it is, is based on attachment 
theory, which is grounded in research that basically in a nutshell states that the more securely attached a child is to their primary caregiver or caregivers, the more confidently they will explore the world and the faster their emotional and social development occurs. A better attachment is known to result in better outcomes for children and, of course, a more enjoyable family environment. So it's all to do with literally the attachment. It's got nothing to do with breastfeeding, baby wearing or co-sleeping. So if you did not choose to do any of those, please do not think that you can't do attachment play or that if you are doing attachment play means that you need to talk, call yourself an attachment parenting parent. Uh, they're quite different things. So um, please don't get your um, back up about any of that. When a child has a weakened attachment, it is harder for them to control their emotions and their behavior because they don't often feel like they have a secure base to return to, to help them process what's happening. As a child strengthens their attachment, they end up feeling more confident to act um, and go and play and go out and explore their world and then come back to that secure base when they need it. And so what we can do through responsive parenting is help our children work through stress related to specific situations and then learn through these experiences of play um, and being attached to a caregiver of how they can respond differently in the future. So attachment play is a way for children to reduce their stress and anxiety through positive social interactions with really loving caregivers. You know, it produces oxytocin, which is that lovely hormone that calms us down and connects us to the ones we love. It stimulates the brain to rewire previously stressful situations as emotionally neutral, basically decreasing stress and anxiety that a child previously experienced with an incident. Now, children who uh, feel overly stressed generally have a weakened attachment to caregivers. Um, and then this you know, sort of goes around in circles because the weakened attachment then causes more stress and anxiety and it becomes this catch-22 situation. So we know that children who experience more stress have more behavior problems. So in order to improve the behavior problems as parents, we need to address our child's stress level and their attachment with the primary caregiver. And this is where attachment play comes in because it starts at that foundation. It starts to decrease the stress levels in our child, strengthens the attachment, and then we look at behavior. Now, there are nine categories of attachment play, and it would take me multiple episodes of this podcast to go through all of them. But today, I just want to talk about one of them, which is called child-led play. Now, this is an evidence-based technique to help address behavior problems. So it is well-researched, and if you want to get in contact with me, I can provide you a whole heap of um, resources to read about it. But this is a great nutshell in this episode and will help you take the first steps towards implementing it. You don't need fancy tools, you don't need fancy techniques, 
all you need to do is be with your child. Okay, so let's get started with the seven steps of child-led play that we can use to help improve behaviour problems. So child-led play is simply where we as parents and caregivers join our child in playtime without directing them. So what we want to do is we want to provide a variety of different toys and material that our child likes um, and inspire them to be creative. So we're trying to avoid using battery operated toys and iPads, for example. We want our child to stimulate their imagination. So perhaps it's sitting down and having a couple of sets of cars or trains out or building blocks or Lego or um, coloring books or craft materials or paint or um, cooking in the kitchen. Anything that our child likes, just basically provide and be there and ask them, what would you like to play with? And then don't have anything within you thinking, oh, please play with this, please play with this, please play with this. Or don't say, oh, let's not play with the cars today. Let's go play with Barbies. Um, Don't direct them. This is to be child-led because we want them to choose um, a game or an activity that they feel comfortable in. When they feel comfortable, they aren't stressed. When they aren't stressed, they're going to be able to build that attachment to you. So the best way to do this is to, of course, be on the floor or sitting at a table with 100% full attention with your child. So that means no phone and no TV. Now, of course, it can be hard um, to have no TV on, especially if you have other children. So if you've got more than one child at home and you want to have one child sit in front of the TV while you play with one of them, for example, or you know have a DVD or sit in the iPad, have that child who's using the screen time in another room because the child you're playing with will get distracted by that being there. The same as if you're setting up multiple games. If you can have them in separate rooms, it's best or at least in separate sides of you so that you can turn and face one child at a time without there being another one. That helps, you know, get that quality one-on-one time. Now, it can be really hard also not to be attached to our phones. You know, we're on them all the time. Um, You know, there was a statistic I read the other day that says that an average mum checks her phone up to 150 times a day, which is pretty crazy. And a lot of the time, sometimes we might just be checking it to see what time it is. And one of the things that mums come up to me with about all of this child-led play is to actually say, I don't have time. I'm like, well, okay, so you need to set a timer on your phone okay that's great set the timer on your phone but then put it on the other side of the room so that a you're not um you know tempted to look at it um and b you'll still hear the alarm it's on the other side of the room and then you can talk to your child and go okay mommy's got about 15 minutes before i have to make dinner let's play whatever you would like to play The third thing we need to do, um, the third step, is to let them lead the play in any way they want to. So if it doesn't make sense, if Barbie wants to be a monster or if the car wants to be Barbie um, or something wants to represent something that it isn't, 
let it go. If it's not the time to teach or to correct um, any of the play, if your child is to use their imagination in any way that they possibly can to help um, them reduce their stress levels. So if they say to you, here, can you make Barbie be a monster on the moon? Uh, don't then say, oh, well, Barbie can't go up on the moon because, you know, so and so and so and then give some explanation. You just go, okay, Barbie, let's go on the moon and you're going to be a monster today, for example. Um, if they want to be destructive with toys and hitting cars together or a dinosaur eating something or whatever wonderful things that your children comes up to, what, just let them. It's not about being, oh, be gentle with your toys. Unless they're, of course, about to break something that is really special, um, just let them do whatever you want to do. And when we let them lead, the best way to do that is to actually say, you know, how can mummy play with you? You tell me what you would like me to do. So it could be easy, for example, to pick up the Barbie and walk the Barbie, blah, 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 and have her sit down in a chair, for example, or drive the car on a truck or build the blocks into a tower. Uh, and that can be our preconceptions of how our child would want to play. But what we want to do to strengthen that attachment is to let them guide us. Now, this is really good for our children because it makes them feel fantastic. We spend all day telling them what to do, basically. Um, and that's, you know, part of the role of being a parent. We're guiding them and empowering them and, you know, helping teach them. But if we have these incidences where we can sit back and let them do that to us, they feel better about themselves and that's how they get a great connection with us because they're like, oh, mommy, I get to tell mommy what to do and she's listening to me and she's doing what I'm doing without correcting me or without ignoring or without saying, no, I don't want to do that. And it makes them feel good, gives their uh, self-esteem a boost um, and then strengthens that. That connection. So we can, of course, comment and ask questions, um, especially if we don't understand what your child's doing. I do this all the time. You know, my um, five-year-old is always like, oh, oh, so-and-so, something, something's happened with this Lego. And I'm like, um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because sometimes I don't know by the tone of her voice whether she's happy about that or sad. So asking is a really good way of um, demonstrating listening, of course, because we want our children to listen to us, so we should listen to them. Um, and it also allows them to explain, so it allows them to, uh, to lead. Now, just because we set up toys and everything in front of our children doesn't mean they actually want to play with us. And this particularly can happen as our kids get older and, you know, playing with parents becomes a bit uncool because they're starting to distance themselves from it. So it could be if you have an older child, say you've got a preteen and getting into a teenager who doesn't necessarily want to play with you um, as, you know, as eagerly as the toddler does, is that just, you know, put some things up out together and say, hey, I've got these things for you. Would you like to do any of them with me? Um, and they go, no. Nah. And then you go, okay, 
you're not going to force them because we don't want to force um, them to play because it's going to stress them out. It's not going to do anything for the attachment. You just go, okay, great. Well, if you'd like to do any with me, then I'm going to be sitting here reading my book or um, I'm going to be sitting here doing some colouring in or whatever it is or cooking. Um, come and join me. I'm going to be outside kicking the ball around. If you'd like to come with me, then that would be a great idea. And I'm here for you and ready when you are. Sometimes kids don't want you to play with them and that's okay. And if they say no, we need to respect boundaries. Um, and when we respect boundaries, we demonstrate respect. And if you feel, if an individual feels disrespected, then they feel stressed. And this happens for our children too. So if our children say, no, mum, or no, dad, don't, I don't want to play with you, and you force it, they're going to get stressed. So if you respect their boundary, you listen to them and you go, okay, well, if you do change your mind, um, then I'm here, then that will be like, oh, they're actually listening to me and respecting me, even though a child doesn't think in those terms. Um, and that will actually um, make them feel less stressed and strengthen that attachment. If your child does say no, please stay close. Don't then go walk up to the other end of the house and fold the laundry because if they do want to come and talk to you or do want to play with you or do an activity with you and they have to come and find you and it takes extra effort, they're not going to do it. So stay close. Child-led play is not a time for teaching. It's not a time for analysing our child's behaviour. Uh, there are other strategies of attachment play that do um, deal with stressful situations um, and helping children recover from trauma. That is not what this is about. This is just about strengthening attachment. And when we're strengthening attachment, we want children to be calm. And a lot of us, when we get taught things and perhaps when we don't get something the first time um, or we're constantly being told what to do, we feel more stressed and that doesn't strengthen attachment so please when you have these moments of child-led play do not teach and analyze your child's behavior and of course we want to let our children do whatever they want to do but within the limits of not damaging property or hurting people. So if your child is smashing the cars together um, and they're going to get hurt and they're going to get damaged, then yes, you could direct and go, okay, well, how about we smash the car into the pillow? Or how about we do this instead? Or would it work if we did it this way? Because then you're asking them for them, them to lead it. Um, but if they're bashing two plastic cars together that aren't actually going to get damaged, just let them bash the cars together. They don't need to be told what to do by you in this situation. If, for example, with an older kid, you're outside playing a game and they're going to throw a ball at someone and it's going to hurt them and they're doing it on purpose compared to an accident, then yes, we don't want them to do that. We don't want to encourage our children to destroy property or um, to hurt other people, but we can do that in a gentle way. It's like, oh, don't throw the ball too hard over there. Come and throw the ball really hard over here or throw it against the wall or do something like this. There is always a way to channel and change our child's behavior um without you know disconnecting ourselves from them child-led play helps children feel acknowledged safe and loved you know it helps children regain a sense of trust and safety with a primary caregiver 
Now, you may find that your child acts out conflicts that they're having with family or friends in play. And this is normal. And this is fantastic if your child is doing it because it indicates that they are feeling safe. So if they do um, and, you know, toys are talking about a problem that they're having on a playground, for example, this is when asking questions is great because you can start to explore the situation and then only if appropriate. So you, you have to judge this by your child. You could possibly start to explore how the situation might be managed next time or if a similar situation occurred. But what you want to do is you want to make sure that your child feels safe and open enough talking to you before you start um, exploring alternative situations. There are eight general guidelines for child-led play. Um, of course, number one is following your child's lead and remaining flexible. Um, number two is avoid teaching or correcting. And number three is, of course, avoiding interpreting or analysing your child's play. This is not what we want to be doing with child-led play. Number four is that laughter is always a good sign and so encourage it in any way. So sometimes the sillier games, the better. The sillier games means um, all those lovely oxytocin hormones uh, which help reduce stress and increase feelings of love and safety and security and attachment to you, who, which is what we want to be fostering. No Teasing is number five. So, of course, it's seen, it's obvious, but sometimes, you know, we could be play teasing, but we don't want to be doing this at this instant. The same thing is that we also don't want to be tickling. So say we're having um, a, you know, a more active child-led play session and it's a bit of a wrestle on the couch. Tickling actually creates feelings of powerlessness in the child, even though there's laughter. It can be like someone's doing it to them. So now is not the time to be doing that because we want to make them actually be boosting their self-esteem and their feelings of self within the relationship, not making them feel powerlessness in it. So tickling and wrestling, probably better for a different situation. Now, this type of strategic play, so this is general guideline number seven, is not to do it if your child is crying. So if your child's actively upset about something, now is not the time to do child-led play. Um, now is the time to actually just hold and connect with your child um, and, you know, just be there for them. Because if they're already in a stressed situation, which they are when they're, um, when they're crying, for whatever reason, um, there's no point trying to de-stress them with play. It's generally going to be a distraction if you do it and you're not going to get the same results. So if your child's upset, just be with them um, and schedule child-led play for another time. So the final general guideline is that it's okay to say no to wanting to play. So that's both child and mum. So as I said before, children are allowed to refuse it. And so are you. I know how hard life can be. I know how busy life can be as well. And we 
don't always have the energy to play with our children. So ideally, child-led play should happen. And I use the word should very loosely because it's different for every family. But you want to be looking at about 10 minutes a day. But that's not always feasible. So even if you did 10 minutes every second day or two or three times a week and built it up from then, or maybe five minutes in the morning and then 10 minutes in the evening or vice versa, you know, you work out what's going to work for you and your family. And if you don't want to, it's okay to say no. It's not about feeling guilty because if you come to um, wanting to play with your child and you're feeling guilty and stressed or thinking about the everything else that you have to be doing, you're not actually going to be connecting with your child as well as you could be. So it's a good idea to come and do it when you're fresh and everyone wants to be there. So this is the very basics of attachment-based child-led play. And once we have those in place, we can then use specific strategies to build on for specific behavior problems if they're occurring. And that is really unique to your child, to their age, um, to their um, level of development, to your family, to yourself, to um, your values, your beliefs, your social your economic status, your culture, your language, all of that is very personal. So that unfortunately I can't do in a one size fits all podcast. Um, but I would encourage you to get in contact with me if you do have a specific behavior problem with your children. And I can help you um, to build upon the strategies of child-led play. So Remember that all behavior is communication and the key to improving a family situation is to solve the underlying problem, not just to look at strategies as a band-aid. And if you don't have a secure connection with your child, then all the strategies in the world won't help you because your child won't have that connection, that mutual respect, that understanding, um, that listening with you in order for the strategy that you choose to work use for it to work. So that's why doing something as simple as child-led play is the first step to improving behavior problems with your child. Okay, so that is it for today's episode. As always, if you would like to get in contact with me, then please pop over to my Facebook page. Just search Blissed Out Mums um, on Facebook or in Google and pop over to my website and you can get in contact with me there through. I am available to help create behavior management plans to help improve your child's behavior as well as enhance your attachment with them and improve family life so that everything is just that little bit easier and more enjoyable. Okay, I shall say farewell for this episode and I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Bye for now.